Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is C.M. Alexander with the news. A Colorado court has ruled in favor of the defendant in a class action lawsuit against pest control company Wasp Be Dead. The lawsuit arose after many customers who used the wasp-killing bug bomb were brutally stung by dozens of wasps, who seemingly returned to life within hours. The defense won by pointing out that the bug bomb did kill the wasps, but held no accountability for the actions of the zombie or ghost wasps. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Khan, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. What up, constant readers? And today we are covering our next selection in our Patreon selection series, The Shining, selected by Aiden White. And we are reading through chapter 19 with CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thanks, Josh. <laughs> I'm just so scared because this is an important book like It. And wait, why do I keep leading these? I'm really, <laughs> I'm really nervous and I want to do a good job. But at first, I have to admit something <laughs> to you guys and our listeners, because we always talk about whether or not we have read the book before. And I said I did. And as I was, I listened to this and read it. As I was going through this, I was like, there is no fucking way <laughs> I have ever read this. Because every sentence and every image that this book paints in my mind is so cool and unique that I would remember mm-hmm. these yeah. lines. I would remember some of this dialogue and it is all new to me. So this is my first time reading Hell The Shining. yes. First time with such a masterpiece. That's oh, so exciting. Yes. And so I haven't read it all, but I'm I, I like I'm alive and pop culture is a thing. So <laughs> right. and I think that's why I thought I had read it. I'm just so familiar. But I don't know what's going to happen for sure. But I have to say that I am really fascinated by how we are introduced to Jack, our main character, Jack Torrance, because the first chapter is titled Job Interview. And the very first line is a thought that Jack is having about the man, Stuart Ullman, interviewing him for a job. And it's like, we're told right away what kind of person Jack (laughs) is with this thought. And I'm curious, do you guys think that his first impression of Ullman is fair? Absolutely. Oh my God. (laughs) Ullman's a prick. Uh, I mean, yes and no. Uh, I think he is on the money. Omen is just kind of a little bit of a dick mm-hmm. that we see as he treats the other staff yeah. of the hotel. He's he's an asshole. That said, I do not think if this had been another person, he would have had a different thought. <laughs> <laughs> because the opening line is a vicious little prick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is not a, not a kind thought. No. And he thinks later as he's like, kind of running down mm-hmm. Omen's a stuffy little guy in a little suit. He, he has the thought, he doesn't think that he would have a different thought for other people in the situation that he is in. And you're like, oh, he's in a bad, like, yeah, of course he's not going to like it. But once we find out why he's in the position he's in, <laughs> yeah, is another huge reveal of what an enormous piece of shit Jack Torrance is. Fully agree. Okay, thank you. Because I, I'm i like, God, is there something wrong with me? Because I get that this guy is a dick, mm-hmm. but I'm also like, 
he's really efficient. Well, and if you were a good employee, like, yeah, he might be annoying and mean, but he wouldn't. He, I don't know that he'd be a bad boss necessarily. Depends. Yeah. He's he's not bad for the people who own the hotel. Like, right. this is the first time the Overlook has turned a profit in like what seventy years. I think yeah, he says something like that. like that. Yeah, and it's taken all this work. He's great at what he does, but he's. Just, there needs to be someone between him and the people he has to deal with <laughs> under him. There needs to be a middle management HR, position yeah. at the Overlook. So just for anybody listening, we're probably going to go, or I'm going to try to have us go, who knows what will happen, into a little more detail than normal. Details that I'm worried might seem mundane, but the book is so instantly fascinating. And somehow every paragraph in it, notes something that is immediately recognized as important or you mm-hmm. just know that it's going to become very important later the writing in this <laughs> I, uh, I i read this in sophomore year in high school it's the only time i've read the shining and i remember really loving it but the level of king's writing in this book mm-hmm. is anyone that has ever said i don't like king i want to give them a copy of this book yeah mm-hmm. and be like this is his best just prose in my opinion Uh, it's it's astounding it's it's absolutely amazing one thing that is uh as you're talking about the small details Mm -hmm. as ullman is describing the overlook like the layout the blueprints of it it's so cool to me because i've been to the stanley yeah and the way he describes it like i i I see it because I've been there, That's and it's so like cool. such a cool feeling <laughs> to be like, yeah. Brag. <laughs> In fact, the copy of my book I'm reading about oh, the gift shop God. of the Stanley. Oh, <laughs> okay, good, because I I have a lot of detail about the hotel itself because mm-hmm. it's clear to me, unless I'm wildly wrong, that the hotel is as much a character as the human people. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Okay, perfect. So we are at the Overlook Hotel. Ullman is showing Jack the floor plans with extreme pride. Would one of you like to kind of describe this hotel layout for us so far? Well, let me go back to my mind palace since I've been there. No big deal. (laughs) Your mind palace. Wow. Uh, Don't call back Dreamcatcher while we're talking about the shining. That's wrong. (laughs) My my warehouse. Um, Yeah, it's uh, it's three floors. And the main floor has, you know, the reception desk off to one side is the the Colorado Lounge, which is where they'd have music and parties on the uh, other opposite side is where they have the the big the grand dining room and all this uh, downstairs is where they have the kitchen and they have the the boiler, which will in the basement get to a lot in the basement. And then there are three floors and on the top floor and on the third floor, which is of you, I would desperately love to see in mm-hmm. real life. The presidential suite has a full floor to ceiling windows with a view over the West. And it's uh, supposed to be just breathtaking. But that's like the big, big sightseeing thing. Big room that anybody would want to be in. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I didn't even need any of my notes. I took like really detailed notes on the <laughs> layout yeah. just in case. <laughs> yeah, they give like the full on. This is how many rooms are yeah. on this floor. This yeah, is how many rooms yeah. are on this floor. And he gives that some like, is this just part of his personality or do I need to know this? <laughs> <laughs> so very shortly, we come to understand both why Jack describes himself as a reluctant interviewee and why Ullman doesn't seem to want him there. We learn that the reason Jack is looking for a job is because he used to be a teacher uh, mm-hmm. and he is not anymore because he beat the shit out of one of his students. 
Um, do we we don't learn we that don't at this point? We don't know that yet, though. It's just this vague thing. He but had an is, incident. Is they, what yeah. they call it a violent uh, incident. In, enough of an incident that Ullman knows about it. Yeah. and thinks you know you're a bad fit. Andy knows that he's an alcoholic because mm-hmm. Jack's friend who got him this interview and actually didn't get him an interview, got him a job. Yeah. Albert Shockley is on the board of directors. And he's also, we're going to get into his and Jack's relationship, but they go through a thing together and now they're both sober for now. And so Ullman, I just think this is really interesting because he tells him basically like, I, you, I don't want you for this job. You are not the right fit for the job. Jack is instantly offended by this. And I think this is why I kind of like Ullman because he has a very compelling reason for not wanting him, which he does describe to him. And he also acknowledges like, you probably think I'm a bastard. Everyone who works here probably thinks so, and they're probably right, but kind of what you were saying earlier, Ben, I have to be to run this hotel, and I run it well. But before we get into more gruesome, grisly detail, Ullman gives Jack a really fascinating history of the hotel, starting with the date it was built, 1907 through 1909, by Robert Townsley Watson, who is the current maintenance man's grandfather. That's such a weird line of... (laughs) Line of descendants. <laughs> and we also find out that this hotel is pretty isolated. Yeah, that during the winter months, the roads leading up to the hotel from the city or the small town of Sidewinder, Colorado, are completely snowed in. And for how many months? They are going to be completely isolated in this hotel. Yeah, from late October, early November through April. And Sidewinder is 40 miles away from them too. So even if worst case scenario, they have to get to this, it's going to take a very long time, no matter what. And another interesting tidbit, the overlook has hosted all sorts of famous and powerful people, which we're going to discover more about that towards the end of the episode. And it hasn't necessarily had successful management. It's changed hands several times. It was vacant in the thirties and late thirties, early forties, and very important for reasons that I'm sure we won't get into for some time. The Overlook has a roque court and a topiary of hedge animals, which is also a big deal to Ullman. Oh, it's not important. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Won't come up again. So Ullman married the hotel in 1970. And basically, according to him, oh, I said it on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. That was nice and subtle. You snuck it past me for a second. He is the only person to have brought the accounts into black. And then this is where things take a really cool turn because Jack's like, cool, this hotel is fascinating. You do a good job of running it. What does that have to do with you not liking me for the job? So let's talk about Ullman's reservations. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) About hiring Jack. Yeah. Yeah, he he talks about the it was his idea to bring on a winter caretaker because somebody to to run the heat in sections of the hotel and to keep up maintenance because the winters can be really brutal, do a lot of damage and they spend a lot of money on that upkeep. So, it's cheaper to have somebody here taking small care of it piece by piece or so that nature doesn't get its claws in is basically what he says. <laughs> and he talks about the first hire they had, Delbert Grady, and he thought this is great he's uh, a family man. It's him and his wife and his two kids and they'll be able to keep each other company and it'll be great. They certainly keep each other company forever in this place (laughs) because he goes into full cabin fever and he kills his daughters and his wife and then himself. 
it's uh, it's tough. It's not a not a good first go at the job. I, I love this. Does actually kind of say a lot about Ullman's personality that he does say he had cabin fever. Hey, you know what that is? That right? was oh my god! Oh my god! So, it is so <laughs> belittling. I'm more irritated with Jack's response to that because he's like, well. Grady didn't go to college and only stupid people get cabin fever mm-hmm. because they don't have enough to do and smart people know better. Jack, this is the first time I'm going to say this and I feel like we need a counter. So I'm going to say it a lot. Jack's a bit of a prick. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, so I, I started off, you know, with, with Jack as a huge piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And I would just like to take a second to apologize to Lewis Creed. Uh, I, had, <laughs> I had the exact same feelings about Lewis fucking Creed that I did about Jack Torrance and uh, not earned, not earned by Lewis. I don't Jack know, man. Jack fucking earns it. They seem like they would be buds. They have similar Honestly, personalities, something about them. And I didn't think about it until you oh mentioned my God. it. Switch those characters in these books. And yeah, I bet they God. got fairly similar. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I I like Jack. I know you do. I figured you would. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. Like, I don't know Oops. if I like the implication. <laughs> what I like about Jack is how much he wants to be better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that, it, you you root for him so hard because uh, we've all, we've discussed many times on the show about seeing the person, not the addiction, mm-hmm. and that is something we are seeing Jack going through. And he's still, I mean, mm-hmm. still pretty early in his yes, recovery, yeah. and just seeing uh, in his internal modeling. You know, we get when he reflects on some of the things we'll talk about later, and those thoughts get darker. Uh, you just want to root for him so hard to fight against it mm. because you see where he let himself go and how far he really doesn't want to go back. Yeah, I don't want to be misunderstood. Jack is one of the most fascinating characters oh, absolutely. we've got in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. you are absolutely right, Josh. It's interesting because, and I'm going to continue to say that Jack is a prick because mm. it's like his brain is Oh, he's, he's not, I mean, the alcoholism has nothing to do with him being a prick. He just inherently is <laughs> kind of a prick. It's, but I mean, Stephen King has very deliberately set up his internal mm-hmm. dialogue mm-hmm. so that we see how prideful he is and how he contradicts mm-hmm. God, himself, that pride. how he lies to himself, how he lies to others. And sometimes he does face the truth in it. My sympathy for Jack, we'll get to this, but it comes out more not when I'm with Jack and especially not when I'm with Wendy thinking about Jack, but when I am with Danny thinking about Jack and then seeing the way Danny and Jack interact, it makes Jack a person you do want to root for, even if he doesn't (laughs) help with that himself. Okay, so basically Ullman begrudgingly gives him this job because Al Sharpley has Shapley. Shockley. Mm-hmm. Al Shockley has power. <laughs> Jeez, wow. And this is happening. And he's like, I hope there are no hard feelings. I'm I'm just trying to be honest with you. <laughs> I love that. I, I appreciate if someone was kind of shitty to me, but they're like, here's why I said this. And I hope you don't take it personally. I'd be like, I don't think I like you, but I get it. But Jack's like, super hard feelings. All the hard feelings. Jack is a victim in his head. Yes. yes. Oh, my God. That's okay. Everything mm-hmm. is happening to him, uh, even when it is his fault. God, I can't wait to get into some of that denial later in this section. 
First, let's meet Jack's much better counterparts, Wendy and Danny. <laughs> Wendy is watching Danny out of the kitchen window as he sits on the curb waiting for Jack to come home from his interview. And Wendy's having a time. Uh, my my favorite thing about this, like she goes out to check on on Danny, who's like sitting, sitting there waiting for his dad to come back. And she's like, he's not going to be back for a, quite some time. We don't know when. And he's like worried. She's worried about the car breaking down. And Danny can sense that. And he said, I don't remember what part of the car, but he's like, it's all shot to shit. <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, don't say that fuel gauge or whatever the thing yeah. problem yeah. was. And he's like, no, shot to shit. Don't say that. <laughs> it's I such a that. great. Yeah. The, the interaction and the like the casual family closeness between mm-hmm. the three characters, mm-hmm. even Jack later when he yeah. is being a regular ish family man <laughs> is so endearing and so well written and yeah. you instantly care for these two so much uh even though danny is a scary fucking kid <laughs> i feel like <laughs> is I, that just me you I just did, gave me a look like <laughs> I, I would have never I, i'm interested to hear why you say that but i the word scary never popped into uh, my mind maybe uh, it's imagine it was your kid who frequently has spells and then knows stuff and is constantly saying stuff like my friend Tony that's real far away told me that a thing I shouldn't know. Yeah, that's scary. That is spooky. See, I can't even relate to that because I don't have kids, but I hear horror stories about people who have kids and their kids are like getting like their toddler age. They can talk and stuff. Right. And they'll be like, they'll find them in the closet facing the wall. <laughs> like, what are you doing? I was hiding from the ghost, daddy. It's like, what? <laughs> so the kids are just generally terrifying to that, me. That is true. It is it is funny because the way he is written, his like quirks, his, the, his shine mm-hmm. is written so fascinating yeah. that it could easily be interpreted as Danny is just the most... Uh, what's the word? Intuitive. Like intuitive, empathetic kid mm, in yeah. the world. And he just senses everything. Or <laughs> he has uh, psychic abilities and can I, talk to ghosts and stuff. I think it's not scary because we get this understanding of what this experience is like mm-hmm. and what these powers are from Danny. So yeah. we're not seeing it from well, their I, parents' perspective <laughs> first and getting that moment of, why does he know that? That would be scary. Right. No, I I, I don't think scary is the exact <laughs> no, I know what you mean. <laughs> word I'm looking for. No, that's He's good. It made me think. He's just a spooky fucking yeah. kid. Yeah. yeah. This is also where we get the first hint of Jack's pride, if that <laughs> wasn't obvious from spending a few minutes with him. Because Wendy is really frustrated that he's out there doing this interview because he had, Al was going to help him, but Jack didn't want to accept a, quote, handout. And so now they're being put in this situation and they're being they're coming from a bad situation because of something else he did, because now they they had to move. They're in this dilapidated apartment with neighbors who fight each other in the middle of the night upstairs. Danny doesn't have any friends and it just it's not a good situation. You get the impression right away that Wendy's life is not turning out the way she imagined it. I just like her because she's a strong, thoughtful woman. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it you definitely wish when when you get some of their history and uh, the fallout of something Jack does or did, mm-hmm. you you want 
to run up to Wendy and be like, just go. Yep. Just yeah. none of this had to happen. Nope. Yeah. N- you just don't want her to suffer anymore. Yeah. So Danny and Wendy are talking and he asks an interesting question, something that Jack and Wendy have already talked about. Okay, if this comes up, if he asks, how are we going to respond? And they decided that they were just going to be honest and tell him the truth. Would one of you like to describe what Danny asks and how Wendy responds? Yeah, Danny uh, pretty much asks why they're stuck in this situation, really. Like mm-hmm. like you said, they're in a much worse place and he's away from all his friends. And she kind of straightforward just says there was an incident at your school where your daddy taught uh, with a student and it turned out bad and, and now we, we have to go. And in her head, she's thinking about George Hatfield. He got cut from the debate team and then Jack saw him slashing their tires and hit him. And that seems pretty straightforward. But later we find out so much more about mm-hmm. this story. I cannot wait. I know. And, <laughs> and I, I bring this specific moment up because Wendy here says something chilling. She says, quote, sometimes he does things he's sorry for later. Sometimes he doesn't think the way he should. And it gets even more chilling than that when Danny responds with, did he hurt George Hatfield like the time I spilled all his papers? Oof. And then Wendy's thinking about Danny with his arm in a cast, and she says something like that. So we're going to get to more of, of what happened with that later, but for right now, we just have this very like simplistic story of why their lives are, are suddenly changing kind of for the worse. <laughs> and this is the first time that we see Wendy thinking like, this kid's special. We don't deserve him. It's like, ah, okay. So we're going to cut away from them for a minute. We are back at the overlook and Jack is with Watson, the maintenance man, your caretaker. He's giving Jack a tour of the furnace and a piece of his mind about Ullman. I trust his (laughs) opinion more than Jack's. Like if Watson's like, that guy sucks. I mean, it gets super shitty, but. Yeah, we pretty (laughs) much everyone that does talk about Ullman is like, yeah, that fucking asshole. (laughs) (laughs) The writing here is so freaking good because so we just left Danny and Wendy having discovered that Jack hurt Danny. And when we come back with Jack, he's listening to Watson, but he's also plagued by Almond's words that he knows Jack, quote, lost his temper. And then now we get more from Jack's perspective about what happened. Not the full truth, though. So he's he's thinking about this this incident they alluded to that Jack was drinking heavily and he'd been working on this play for a very long time. And he, he even admits at one point that he says he was working, but he was really shuffling papers is what it was coming down to. And he was just in his office drinking. He popped out for a minute, came back and three year old Danny is standing, having pretty much ransacked the office mm-hmm. And poured his beer on the pages he was working on. Jack's beer. Yeah, Jack's beer. <laughs> I know yeah. nobody thinks Danny's beer. <laughs> yeah, Dan, no, Danny's beer. Danny had his beer. Pouring one out for dad. <laughs> exactly. And Jack sees red. He he loses it. He grabs Danny by the arm and whips him around to spank him. But how hard he grabbed and how hard he pulled, he breaks Danny's arm. And my favorite thing about how this is described is when they talk about the break and he talks about how quiet it was, mm. but how loud it was. And I cannot like, it's so <laughs> gruesome. Just this one moment. It's crazy. The brutality of the moment mm. and the like shock of it when mixed with the s- straight up, sometimes poetic po- prose, mm-hmm. it's shocking a little bit. 
You're like, it's yeah. written so <laughs> almost prettily. Mm-hmm. It's like, why are we but describing something so horrible with such powerful it, imagery? It makes me jealous that I can't think and write that way. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the writing is yeah. Um, I think next level. I think it's because you want to get away from that moment because it's so brutal, but because of how beautifully written it is, you have to sit in it mm-hmm. for a little while and it makes it that much worse. Can I share what stood out to me about Jack's recollection? Yeah. He says that Danny cried a little when he grabbed his hand and bent it, and then he immediately corrects himself and says, no, no, tell the truth. He screamed. And that's right before describing the sound, this beautiful sound Mm -hmm. of the bone breaking, cutting through the fog of his rage, but he says it didn't like stop the rage like you would think it would have. It only intensified it because it let him then feel the shame and remorse and terror. And then I was also just so struck when Wendy comes in and grabs Danny. And I just have to read this because it's so simply stated, like all of these parts, but so powerful. His eyes met the eyes of his wife and he saw that Wendy hated him. Yes, absolutely. Oh, if you guys haven't read this, if you're listening, you haven't read this, read it. Because that doesn't even do it <laughs> <Yeah>. justice. <laughs> I, I talk to a lot of our listeners that are like, oh, yeah, I, I don't I haven't read the books, but I listen along mm-hmm. to a few Stop the podcast. Stop yeah, yeah, the podcast read or right listen. now. have to read this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I listened to this three times and I read it once. I'm enjoying it so much. Yeah. Oh, Honestly, God, we're almost a half an hour into this episode and the family like, hasn't oh made it to the It's like chapter yet. five. Yeah. It's oh, like, so it's like that's how much, the, but that's how much <laughs> there is. Like there's so much character building and backstory. You have to get all that front loaded here mm-hmm. because of how King returns to these stories giving you a little more information from a different character's perspective all of these it's it's like all of these stories are foggy memories becoming clear absolutely Uh, and that's my favorite part of this book is how almost dreamlike everything feels because it is just like floating between these three family members and everything danny says is like a dream (laughs) like (laughs) everything danny does is very foggy and like floaty does any of that make sense absolutely and it won't make sense unless you've read this book (laughs) stop the podcast and read the book there's no wasted sentence or moment in this book at all i i think we've said something else was like oh the best written book that he's done that we've covered I don't remember what it was. It's I feel like garbage maybe now because this is. I feel it. like it was maybe Pet Probably. Cemetery was yeah. the last book I've read that was like <laughs> a revelation. So I want to point out something else while we're still with Jack, and we don't have to go into it because I could be wrong. But the Overlook seems to already have its hooks in Jack because he does something that he's going to continue to do later on that I only noticed here because I read it three times. Mm-hmm. Something that disturbs Wendy. So when, no, he rub, I, when he rubs his the back of his hands yes, on his he mouth. he starts rubbing his hands yeah. across his lips. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like every time he does this, we get this internal dialogue with him about how he just really wants a drink. And he pretty much never doesn't crave a drink, which we know is part of addiction. But it's just to see that insight as these very interesting things and important things are happening. And he's like, God, I just want a drink. OK, so let's talk about the boiler in the incredibly disturbing way that it is described to Jack that will never leave my brain for as long as I live. <laughs> I don't know if I found it disturbing. It, it's it, it's not uh, disturbing, but it puts something. A, it, it puts a, a ticking clock on yes, everything yes. because the boiler is big and old 
and the maintenance guy is like, it should be replaced because it, it one day it is going to explode because the pressure creeps. It, she, creeps. she creeps. She creeps. It slowly rises. And you have to come down a few times a day. Twice a day twice and a day once at night. To lower the pressure or else it will get bigger and bigger. And he says, I wouldn't come down if it were above. He, he, he Because the jackass, the top. It can go to like 250 or something. Yeah, but he says, <laughs> at this I point, that. I wouldn't come down it's, here if it was above 180. Yeah, yeah no, thank he you. tells him to keep it no more than uh, like 50 or 60. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I just, she creeps, just, it comes up more and it's just, See, it, it, uh, it's like, <laughs> I love it. it. It does give you a bit of a like, oh, this is going to be important. <laughs> it, it wasn't until later when it's described as the thing that will be forgotten. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I missed that. that I yeah. went, oh, fuck. I somehow completely missed that. I am just, my particular brand of anxiety is such <laughs> that this reality of what the spoiler does, if I was Jack, would be like, no, no, yeah. I can't. I will be obsessed. I, I live down my, here and I, I yeah. dump it every 20 minutes. Yeah, yes, I know myself I well enough to know I'm too forgetful to remember <laughs> to do anything three times a day. <laughs> I would, you'd find my wasted skeleton right next to it <laughs> before it exploded. Okay, so they move on to the plumbing, and Jack and Watson find themselves in a room with a very later spooky elevator and stacks and stacks and stacks of old papers and records. And Watson, who I really want to like and I enjoyed initially, so he just shows us what a simple-minded fool he is as he goes on about how gay dudes get sexually frustrated and have to come out of the closet, which he thinks means starting riots. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's one of those, you're like... That is so stupid. Yeah. I can't even feel anger because I'm I, just baffled. I can't even follow your train of thought. <laughs> can you, you imagine? Tiny races. <laughs> can you imagine if we had to hear people or see people talk about things like that <laughs> in such an old way? <laughs> oh, I have to take a nap. <laughs> God damn it. We get right here a much more explicit version from Watson about the Grady's. And some other patrons who have had experiences there. Some scandals that Ullman's oh, really good about shit. keeping under wraps. All hotels have some ghosts. Let's talk about the attorney's wife and her young lover. I love this, this story. Because he talks about, like, we know that Ullman is good at his job. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody says that even though they talk about how shitty he is. But keeping secrets swept under the rug is Ullman's greatest trick. And there was uh, this woman who showed up with a much younger man. And spent the whole time there, either up in their room or down having very loud and drunken conversations in the dining room. They're there for a few days. And then one day, the young guy just gets in her car and takes off and leaves her there. And she freaks out, goes up to her room and downs a bottle of pills in the bathtub and dies. And then they have to call her husband because that's the first (laughs) time we find out she has a husband. And, yeah, has to tell this very rich lawyer that his what happened and they have to find the car and all of these things that Ullman had to handle. It's just it's nasty. Mm-hmm. That's a horrifying secret to help cover up. But had the money and the lawyer gave him money to help ensure that it, the police never reported the car stolen and they found it. All this stuff. Yeah. So that he wouldn't because he was talking about suing them. Mm-hmm. He's trying to blame them for her death. The hotel. And Ullman's like. 
Yeah, wouldn't that suck for you if all the papers mm-hmm. were talking about your wife with a kid young enough to be her grandson? Mm-hmm. That's not the end of her story, no. though, because uh, uh, this deals with a maid named Dolores Vickery. <laughs> oh, I thought you were very excited about the name. Yeah. That's, that, that pause made and me think. God, what a name it is. What a name. Uh, yeah, he says that offhandedly uh, a maid was in there and saw her and then quit and left. Which, Which is the right have, call. Couldn't have possibly happened. Nothing happens in room she... 236. Uh, she... Wait, what room is it? <laughs> 217. 217. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> also, she was fired by Ullman. She knew oh, that's that, right. Yeah. Because she was freaking out, like talking to people about it. And he mm-hmm. was like, nope, not You're having it. Here. Which, bad on him. So according to Watson, when you get on in years, the plan is to bang someone much younger than you while staying in a hotel and having a heart attack on top of them and dying, which sounds like pretty good way to go. Yeah. First, <laughs> handcuff them to the bed. Make sure it's not a hotel. It's a remote cabin. Oh, oh, somebody we please pick that. <laughs> somebody please. Oh, but what's important to know, though, is that there are no ghosts. Like Watson, no. he doesn't believe in ghosts. So that that made just, you know, was hysterical, probably. <laughs> Probably should have slapped her, and then oh, she would have yeah, been fine. Geez. She was hysterical. As they're wrapping up the conversation, Jack has a thought, and here's a line that creeps me the fuck out, which I feel like I just keep saying over yeah. and over again. <laughs> He's thinking about Grady going quietly berserk and killing himself and his family, and then he thinks, Jesus Christ, man, did they scream? And then, then, Jack thinks, poor Grady. He shouldn't have been here and he shouldn't have lost his temper, which is a horrific and terrifying Mm -hmm. reflection of Jack thinking about how he sometimes loses his own temper. And then he's like, God, I need a drink. Yeah. He sympathizes with Grady first. This this book doesn't hide the finale. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's still a great journey. You know so much of the bad that's coming. Like, even remove the general pop culture knowledge of The Shining Mm -hmm. from your head. And it is just so obvious where this is all headed. Yeah. And yet the the dread that hangs over every fucking page of this book just draws you in. It's the Hitchcock, you show the audience the bomb. Yeah, it absolutely (laughs) is. Because you know. You know mm-hmm. that Jack doesn't stand a chance. Yeah. And I in my notes is like, oh, this is my first like real, oh, they're fucked. Mm-hmm. Okay, you guys, we have lots to unpack in this next section because <laughs> we're back with Danny and we're about to figure out what exactly it is that makes Danny so special. What we've been talking around this whole time. Danny is how, okay, uh, how to discuss Danny. <laughs> How old is Danny? Five. five. Five years old? That's crazy. My nephew's five. And imagining him... Shining. Shining <laughs> is terrifying. That's why you said earlier, scary. <laughs> yeah. So, so Danny is very perceptive. He picks up and he's... Uh, at this point, we find out that he is uh, terrified of more than anything in the entire world. The idea of divorce fascinating his take uh, on it i love it, it because he has sensed this word 
And uh, I think he even says like a friend of his, his parents had gotten divorced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They had to go to court. Yeah. He wasn't sure what kind of court, like a tennis court. (laughs) It's all, it's all his, his his thoughts are all written so perfectly childlike. Mm -hmm. Like it is all kind of the vague understanding of the adult world that a five-year-old would have. Um, But just the idea that he knew his daddy was doing the bad thing and that it was driving them to think about divorce. And at first, you're like, oh, he's just a a bright little kid, except that sometimes when he thinks about it too hard, he will go away and talk to his friend, Tony. When he thinks about anything Uh too hard, or when he tries to figure out what other people are thinking, when he tries to hear them. Yeah, because he also, he has a low, he says he has like a low level, constant buzz of other people's mm-hmm. thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> and when he focuses too hard on it, he goes into this trance. And it's the best part of the book, in my opinion. The the transition of him thinking of, of just the book explaining and giving you this insight into Wendy and Jack's marriage. And then suddenly you hear, Danny. Danny. The audiobook version is, un- is so who's good. The, uh, something camp, because it's a... George C. Scott Scott Campbell. I yeah. It, okay, this is just for the ladies, and I'm sorry about how creepy I'm about to get. But dude has a great. Voice. He has a fantastic, amazing. So voice. good that I looked him up because I'm like, I wouldn't know what he looks like. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the the audiobook highly recommend mm-hmm. just for the reading oh, of perfect. these segments it's because so the way he reads Tony's way the Danny. I was like, Danny. don't go. It's don't so go. It's so. It's Creepy Amazing. and the way Tony appears to Danny because he is never close. That's he is seen cool. at a distance, <laughs> like and a silhouette. Just imagining like Danny in the front yard, and he says he sees him five yards down, which isn't even that far away, but it is just far enough away that if you imagine someone standing in a yard <laughs> yes. yelling from five yards away, don't go. Ah, yeah, I that's didn't fucking know horrifying. that I had a phobia of people standing about five <laughs> feet from me. <laughs> but no, I do. Yeah, it, it's it. It is the I. I <laughs> no, that that was great. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's just I. I struggle. I think the hardest part of talking about this book is just the the writing. The, Doing the it prose justice. Is yeah, so good and uh, like. Dreamlike is the best way I can describe it. This is one of those books that I feel like we've talked before about how we all imagine certain scenes differently. I would bet of all the books, we have imagined almost all of this book exactly the same way because of how descriptive and imaginative it all is. Something that made me really sad in this segment, though, because Danny is, I think it's right before he goes into this trance, he's thinking about the word divorce isn't as prevalent in his parents' minds ever since daddy punished him for messing the papers in his study and the Oof. doctor put his arm in a cast. And I'm just incredibly upset that Danny thinks that was punishment for doing mm-hmm. something bad or wrong. Jack is a bastard. <laughs> yes. No, also, the- kids' arms break real easily, I'm told. <laughs> they're, they're hollow like bird bones. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you have a kid. I just I have do, to assume yeah. you're right. <laughs> I also like the line about him being worried that his mom 
This is so cool. We'll pluck the word divorce out of her brain and drag it out of her mouth, making, making it, it real. real. Damn. That's yeah, because just so it's cool. not even a word that has been brought up in the house. Jack and Wendy have not no. discussed it between each other. It has just been this oppressive cloud hanging over the house. And thinking of a psychically gifted five-year-old <laughs> just sitting in that oppressive psychic cloud is uh, is dreadful. That I'm so glad you mentioned the cloud because I have a specific note kind of on that imagery. Because he's you said earlier he's thinking about the word divorce as like a constant undercurrent in both of his parents' minds, even though it hasn't been spoken. And Wendy's is centered around what Jack did to Danny and George. And Jack, this is incredibly dark, his is described as complex, colored, dark violet and shot through with frightening veins of pure black with the thought that they'd be better off if he left and things would stop hurting, which we shortly learn mm. is linked to the word suicide in his head, which Danny has also seen there. Yeah, he, it's a word that he <sighs> plucked out of his head not knowing what it means and too scared of it, just knowing the the color of it. Mm -hmm. Well, and this is where we get the trance because Danny knows that Wendy's worried. So he's trying to reach Jack's thoughts to figure out where he is to see what's up. And he connects to his thoughts and Jack's thinking about shingles. And this is where we get the trance. I love that when he reads Jack's mind, it's all no punctuation lowercase. <laughs> I think that is a great yeah. way to illustrate the how he just catches words. He, mm -hmm. he doesn't have any control or filter of them. It's just raw thoughts pouring yeah. into his head. It's so awesome. So Tony calls to him and Danny's usually pretty happy about seeing him. But now for some reason, there's like this this bit of fear associated with that. And he sees the overlook. He sees. So he sees it in winter with new shingles and a light that casts shadows that look like a skull and crossbones. And Tony says the word poison and he starts showing Danny all of these different signs, but Danny's five years old. He can't and read. He can't Fucking read. love that. And so then he's he's like in this room and he hears this hollow booming noise and footfalls, a booming noise. It's just described as like this booming noise, but it's it freaked me out every time that it was talked about just in the context of what was happening. And there's a mirror in the room and there's a word on the mirror. Red, Red rum. And we all know. We're all alive. <laughs> It's in green fire, though, not in blood. <laughs> and then he's in another room, and there's been a struggle here. Things are knocked over and broken. That hollow booming noise, is, is it's still coming for him with the voice of a madman, this a familiar is... madman. They, ne they don't say it. They don't say it, but you know. Yeah. yeah. You know from the second you, know. you hear it, uh, a voice that he f describes as oddly familiar, but wrong. Yeah, this, this voice banging something and saying, come out, take your medicine. Come out, you little bastard, take your medicine. So creepy. And he, he thinks of it as like being chased by a tiger at some point. Yeah. yeah. It is inhuman. It is a monster that is chasing uh. him, not a person. And you know. Yeah. And as if that isn't bad enough, he also, he's in a bathroom then and he sees a limp hand dangling from the edge of the tub dripping blood and that noise is still there and then he sees a shape and he sees that what is making that noise is a mallet and the monster has red eyes 
I love that you guys are are saying like, you know, you know, in these moments, because having realized I haven't read this before, I couldn't tell if I just knew because I know or if it is very intentional. Oh, really, That's what I thought. Yeah. But yeah, it's always hard to I'm so you should be so jealous that I'm experiencing this for the first time because it is amazing. You, now you know what it's like to be me most of our God, podcast. God, you're lucky. <laughs> so Danny is terrified. He comes back to, he hears Tony's voice trailing off, telling him to be careful. And suddenly Jack is home. And this, again, this is where like, I hate Jack. And then when he's with Wendy and Danny and he and Danny are interacting, I have sympathy for him. So Danny is scared, but he's like, you know what? Sometimes Tony shows me things And those things don't always happen. So maybe this will be one of those things. Okay, so Jack takes Danny, I'm just going to mention this briefly, to the shopping center so he can call Al and thank him, even though they have a phone at home, which he takes considerable time to bitch about how Wendy made him get. (laughs) But then because of his pride, he doesn't want to make the call in front of her, even though he doesn't care what she hears him say. It's it's like the last thing he has to hold on to, he says. And and I get that. Like with the, he, he's admitting to himself how he royally feels fucked up their whole lives he even says uh another year and he would have had tenure like if if he had been able Mm -hmm. to hold it together just a bit longer he fucked everything up Mm -hmm. so his pride is just the last strain last string he has to hold on to and it's doing him so many so good i am proud of him though we find out that he'd only been sober a very short amount of time Mm. before getting fired which brings us to Jack and Al. Do you guys want to talk about <laughs> the the bicycle? Mm-hmm. This part is amazing. I love this because it adds, it keeps the, okay, how do I describe this? <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part about this book is the ambiguity. Mm-hmm. The, there are, because uh, King has said in interviews, yes, the supernatural element is real he always considered the supernatural element of it to be a part of it but parts like this part are so supernatural feeling yes and you don't know what really happened okay what happened is him and al had been out drinking and on the drive home or wherever they hit, they're driving down the middle of the road, and suddenly in front of their car, out of nowhere, is a bike. They hit a bike in the middle of the road, slam on the brakes, and freeze. So Al and Jack are immediately like, we, we hit, we hit something. We hit something. We hit a bike. Where was, did we hit someone? And it's someone? like two in the morning, because so, Al and Jack kept drinking. Yeah, it's the middle of the night, and they get out, and they search for two hours. Mm-hmm. They search the sides of the road and everywhere searching for a body that they think they just fucking killed. <laughs> and they don't find anything. What the fuck? What the fuck was that bike doing? And then they, they never find you out. You never know. It yeah. is in a different story. This is divine providence. Mm-hmm. In a different story, this is an act of of divine will to shock them out of their wayward ways. And this is their come to Jesus, get sober moment. And I mean, it is. It is, yeah. yeah. Because uh, afterwards, he goes home and Wendy comes up to him. And this is the moment that Wendy says, we need to talk about something that is going to be best for me and Danny and maybe you, but we, we should have talked about it a while ago. And he defeatedly says, fine, talk to me in a week. 
if you still want to, we will talk in a week. But give me that time. And he it is so out of character that she says yes. And he quits drinking that night. <sighs> and yeah, in a different story, this is a good yeah. thing that yeah. has happened. Here's the thing that I love most is that we get a glimpse that Wendy's not fucking stupid either mm-hmm. because she notices mm-hmm. immediately he has stopped drinking and Al has stopped drinking and she keeps her eye on the newspaper for bar fights or a hit and run or yep. something like that. She keeps an mm-hmm. eye out. I fucking love Wendy. Wendy's yes. amazing. It, it is. This is I also just wish I could be like, it's <laughs> so great that he stopped. Go. Go, yeah. Yeah. Go. <laughs> not yes. enough too yes. little too late yeah i thought it was interesting because we in this moment we get the conversation from jack's perspective and when when she's she's got her back to him so he can't see her face and she says we need to talk and he's like do me a favor just give me that week and when he says do me a favor she says what and it's described by him as a dull and neutral tone but later we get the same conversation from Wendy's perspective and her what is full of her trying to desperately control her emotions and the shaking in her voice. The getting the section where we get basically their whole relationship from Wendy's perspective mm-hmm. is fucking precious. Yeah. You know how bad she she knows who Jack was before she kind of lost him and she just wants that jack back Mm -hmm. and and it's hard to to give up on that especially after danny and and all the things that they've gone through together so we we get some more stuff kind of after this conversation with jack and al we don't have to go into it now we get our chapter with wendy it's nighttime do i dare say anything about this is this the night thoughts mean the chapter what happens in this chapter this is going to get explicit oh yeah So children cover your ears. (laughs) As a woman, I can totally confirm that nothing is as soothing and comforting as the feeling of increasingly cooling cum trickling down your legs as you drift peacefully off to sleep. It is better than melatonin. (laughs) Christ. Oh, God. Oh, Wendy. Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. Okay, so we're with Wendy. (laughs) They've just made love, and she's reflecting on their entire relationship, Mm -hmm. and this is where we get that piece. Do one of you want to talk about the insights that we gain from... Well, we we haven't touched on Wendy's relationship with her mother. Right, that's... Which parental relationships are a huge theme in this book, because we find out that Wendy's mom is also a huge piece of shit. Mm -hmm. Not... Physically, but just uh, she's emotionally emotionally abusive, uh, belittling, and that when she had met Jack, they had basically parted ways that they were, uh, she was estranged from her mother. Jack convinced her to part ways because he's like, don't let people treat you like that. And then he he also makes her make up with her mom. No, Danny makes that happen but that's not jack's doing he i think you're thinking of he breaks up with her like they take a break yeah okay Mm -hmm. he tries to send her to her mom's and she's like yeah fuck that (laughs) but yeah that it it's it's just interesting to get that relationship piece from wendy because she's talking about how they met in college and everything and he was he got her a job so I guess I bring it up because he has a lot of control over her Mm -hmm. in her life, but from her perspective, and maybe this is how it's intended, 
it, he's he's helping her and he's doing things for her, but it's kind of giving him the upper hand the in power. a way over her because he gets her this job, because he convinces her, don't let your mom treat you like crap. Like if you continue to go back to her, it is your fault because you're allowing this to happen and so on. And the thing in their relationship that just like kind of devastated me was when he gets his first story published mm-hmm. and he they have people over and I think they're still like kind of college age or right after that and they're celebrating with a keg and then that is done and they continue they go out and she was like she, she be- didn't want basically them to. begs him to be like you can't drive you shouldn't do this and, and he ignores yeah he's like oh I'll be back soon and he doesn't come home till like four in the morning he wakes up the baby then drops the baby Oof. and then tells her when she's like dude, what the fuck? Tells her, oh, you're just like your mom. Yeah. Mm. And, but what killed me was that she was, she was then like, oh God, am I like my mom? Because her mom turned her out when her dad left her mom. Mm. And she's like, I I can't hold on to my husband. He had to take his joy out of the house. He didn't celebrate with me. He went out and got drunk. It was like, (gasps) yeah. We know addiction's a disease and and it's hard, but it's just, it hurt. But then his response uh, at the end, the sullen don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Is so That's what that's the first I scene. I fucking hate him. You see the, you know, the demon take hold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the first time that I think that's like the first big instance in their relationship that he kind of let that out. And we've also find out that Wendy would have left Jack if her mother was supportive. So mm-hmm. and this is also where we realize, oh, it's been 14 months that he has been sober. Okay, this isn't I don't know if this is important. Uh, Wendy reflects on her giving birth to Danny. He was born with a call, which I had to look mm. up. It's a thing over their face. He, Yeah, it's, so it's when a baby is born still in their baby holding sack. Placenta. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but it's alleged to have magic properties. So, like, it's good luck, or babies born with them have good luck, or they have some sort of special abilities. Same reason raining on your wedding day and get a bird shitting on you are good luck. You, you, take, <laughs> you take something that's, like, horrifying and bad and be like, no, I promise it means good luck. <laughs> just to ease. It's one of those old wives' tales things. Oh, and sorry, before we move on, real quickly, just to be fair to- It is an hour in the show, and we are not at the Overlook mm-hmm. CM. Just to be fair <laughs> to Jack, Wendy does say that- for being a lush and being bad tempered, he n- takes great care of Danny. He never once has complained about changing a diaper. He does everything like it's what he was born to do. So we know they have a really good relationship. Okay, so we're going to leave Wendy. She's got that exquisite gooiness cooling on her thighs. Ew. I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jack did it. Okay, we're going to come to part two. Danny's. He's been having nightmares. Tony's been continuing to try to warn him. The nightmares are so fucking cool. They're, They're so, so scary. But they arrive at the Overlook Hotel. They they have a rocky start getting up there because they're in the bug and it's maybe not the most reliable vehicle. And Danny sees the Overlook and kind of freaks out a little bit because it sucks. Is immediately like turns like <laughs> so knows. pale that mm-hmm. his parents are like, what the fuck? What happened? Yeah, he knows it's the place that Tony was warning him about. So let's talk about their experience coming in as a family to the Overlook. We're back with Ullman. <laughs> before we I get like Ullman in this section. <laughs> yeah. Before we get to that real quick, I scoffed because did you accidentally do a pun there? 
Was there a pun? I missed a pun. Oh, rocky Drive. They're in the Rockies. Oh, uh, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> You'll hear me when you do the edit go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes magic just happens. Yeah, I, just, I wanted no to make sure that it. we didn't skip over it if it was very important to you. I know sometimes... <laughs> They're on there. All right. Sorry, Ben. I like Ullman in this section. <laughs> he's just like, he's running around yeah. and being just like a little busybody. Like, he's a little businessman. Yeah. He, <laughs> I don't know. You get the sense of how much he cares about this hotel. Yes. It's just, it, it's a little endearing. Who takes pride in something they're doing and is good at it. Yeah. And so they're uh, checking in basically and getting the final rundown of like how, how everything's going to go. They're going to be given the tour and all of that. Let's see. What's the most important part to talk about? <laughs> there's so much. And I want to get to Dick I know, that's a problem so I'm much. Yeah, right. Well, there's, they see their quarters and nothing really, there are these just cute family moments yeah. that we have here that we won't go into because then we'll never stop talking <laughs> about this book. But. Oh, I know the, the one thing out of this beginning part I want to talk about. First of all, the did she ni- have nice hedges, Daddy? Oh, great oh moment, God, yes. great conversation. Because part of the reason Jack got this job is because Al Shockley knew he trimmed topiaries and stuff mm-hmm. when he was in college. Great conversation, a most adorable thing that happens. That conversation directly in the ABC Shining miniseries, and I love it every time. Oh, is that important then for what? No, Jack it's just his- a really fun joke. It's he- just like a really cute conversation. But he, as they're looking at that, he misremembers Watson telling him that the hedge animals creep, and he's like, "No, it's the boiler that creeps." Yeah. Not important. Oh, my God. I feel like you're lying to me. Uh, Probably not important. (laughs) Probably not important. I don't see why anybody would mention it. Uh, But the the thing that I wanted to point out is uh, I'm going to read a quote here. It says, Danny didn't know the word isolation, but if someone had explained Mm. it to him, he would have seized on it as he's looking out over the topiaries and the rope court and all that stuff. And that's it's fucking beautiful. I love it. Okay, we can do it now. We can talk about Dick Holleran. The hero of the black spot incident and Derry. Yeah. Yeah. We've met. Well, we've heard about Dick. Yeah, before. we've heard about <laughs> Dick is the reason we have Mike. Yeah. That's true. It's great. I yeah. love it. We meet the Overlooks cook, which Wendy thinks is really weird. Yeah. Because, <laughs> which it is. It is. Kind it's of, absolutely weird. Because uh, she says, cooking is what I do in my kitchen. A big, fancy hotel like this should have a chef. A small portly man with a tiny mustache. <laughs> uh, and a tiny rat under his hat. Yeah, help. exactly. <laughs> or a tiny raccoon. Oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and but instead we have Dick Halloran, a tall, older black man who is immediately the most lovable person. So yeah. fucking great. I want to be best friends with Dick Halloran. The oh. the relationship between him and Danny is so instantly the, delightful. The first thing he says, like almost the first thing he says, he goes down to, to he talk to Danny before anyone else. He says, "Hey, hey, kid, you want you want? How about you come down to Florida?" Yeah. Yeah. So Let's great. get out of here. We're going to Florida, you and me. We'll, How about it? We'll cruise with, for some ladies. And it is instantly so endearing <laughs> instead of uh, terrifying, like an adult man telling your children he wants to <laughs> take them away. Andy, he calls him Doc, which is, we haven't mentioned it. It's a nickname that Wendy and Jack use for Danny, which they did not mention in front of him. Yeah, I love that they clock that both immediately, but mm-hmm. let it go. I. What do you guys think of... When Dan- so he's been giving them this tour, and he's very wonderful and kind, and you just love him right away. What do you think about how he gets Danny to say his name? I love it. It's so great because he's uh, 
<laughs> he's like has already spoken into Danny's head once, but didn't hear anything back. So he just takes this next step and he pretends to forget his own name. And Danny chimes up and he's like, it's Mr. Halloran or Dick to your friends. And he's like, that's it. And Jack's immediately like, did he say his fucking name? <laughs> 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 fucking awesome. We also, I don't know if this is important, so I'm going to mention it. We find out from Halloran that the son of the man who built the Overlook was killed in a horsing accident on the grounds, like as it was being built. And the man who built it got accidentally electrocuted. So there's like death and a, a tragic history. They got rose redded. It, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. God. That's, that's oh why that rings God. familiar to Thank you. Thank you. Gross. Yeah, that's why we like this book so much because of how <laughs> reminiscent it is <laughs> yeah. of Rose yeah. Red. It just makes you realize <laughs> how we t- when we did Rose Red, we talked about it was greatest hits. That's exactly mm. yeah. There's a piece of all of his greatest works inside Rose Red. This also might be important. I don't know. Uh, we go through the Colorado Lounge, and Dick tells Jack, "If you're a drinking man, hope mm-hmm. you brought your own because." Staff had a party last night. There is no alcohol in this building. I want to be in that party. Correct? Immediately when just at the mention Mm -hmm. of alcohol, Jack flinches. Uh. All right. So Dick gets Danny to help him outside with his bag so that they can have a conversation. That is very cute. But took way too long to not be weird. I <laughs> I love that Wendy's that's like the just sign gets... of the times. Yeah, right now we're like, oh my god, don't ever let a kid get into a stranger's car. Right. <laughs> right. So Danny helps Dick carry his luggage out, and he gets in the car with him, and he talks to him about The Shining. He tells him you like that you you shine very bright. Uh, that's what my grandma used to call it. We used to have conversations without ever opening our mouths. Uh, a lot of people. Might have like a little bit of it and never realize it. I think there are some people here, but people don't normally know the things we know mm-hmm. uh, and can speak the way we can speak. And and how powerfully does Danny shine? Well, he fucking side blasts <laughs> the guy. Well, he asks for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, hey, I want you to just think at me just about hard as he can. And we're going to see how strong you are. And Danny sends out a thought, but at the last minute pulls the punch because he's like, he feels how powerful Uh it is. And he goes, "Uh uh-oh, and pulls it back. And the thing that he thinks at him is, hi, Dick. And it's so loud. Dick has to stop. And he gets like dazed. Yeah. Oh, God, it's amazing. And he's like, good thing you pulled back because my head would probably be gone. Yeah, he's like, I'd be bleeding from the nose right now. Yeah. He's also talking to him about his experiences and he's kind of giving him a warning. Danny gets really upset when Dick's questioning him about Tony because he can, he's like sensing now he can hear that Dick is worried. And so he's like, yeah, I've seen stuff here, but I, here's what you can do. It can't hurt you. The pictures in a book, you just close your eyes and then when you open them, they'll be gone, which pictures in a book can't hurt you, Ben. Well, pictures in a book can't, but uh, <laughs> possibly ghostly wasps can. Ooh. Uh, anyway, we'll get to that. <laughs> yes, we will. He also gives him a warning. Yeah. Don't go to room 217. Just trust me. That's <laughs> basically, yeah, I'm going to tell this kid, here's the one place. Never stop thinking about how yeah, you can't go in there. No I'm sure kid will ever, no. ever take that. <laughs> and for us, they part ways and Dick leaves us thinking, I didn't lie to him. 
there's nothing in there that can hurt him. Everything's going to be fine. I didn't lie to him, right? And he also tells him, scream at me like that again if something happens. Yeah, I'll I probably hear you that. from Florida. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to be in Florida, but if you do it loud enough, I'll probably hear. But the uh, real important takeaway is that 217 was the woman who was let go after seeing a ghost. That's the room. Mm -hmm. And Dick says he walked in and what he saw in there is what made him know this was his last year here. Yes. That is horrifying. And then he has to leave Danny and his family there. That's so scary. Should have, he should have been like, don't go into three Oh five. Keep thinking about three Oh five, Danny. That's the one place. (laughs) So this is where, so earlier we're like, did anything interesting happen in the tour? Not at the moment, but now Danny has his first glimpse of something spooky in the mm, hotel. Yeah. As the Omen's taking suite. them around. Yep. Yeah, as they are going up to the presidential suite, they go to the elevator. And <laughs> when the it elevator. opens, it, it does not tidal wave out like a certain <laughs> image that we are used to, but the walls are covered in dried, caked blood and brain matter. And... Oh, that's that's not the elevator. That's that's yeah. in the suite. Yeah, that's a. Oh, it started. I thought it started in the elevator because he goes in and then he closes his eyes real Mm-mm. tight when he opens. No, what uh, happens they're in the scared elevator? in the elevator because it's so ancient that it seems like they're all going to get trapped. Wendy, oh, wow, I really zoned out <laughs> during this part. I guess the the elevator when they're all in it. it doesn't oh, right, because Wendy exactly. thinks it's like. As soon as everyone's gone, we're taking the stairs. Yeah. I do remember that. Okay, so it's in the, the presidential yeah. suite then. Mm-hmm. I conflated these two scenes. That's fine. <laughs> um, Because of the blood in the elevator. Uh, <laughs> kind of relates. They go to the presidential suite, and it is caked in dried blood and brain. And Danny knows that no one else can see mm-hmm. it. And so he just screws his eyes shut, and when he opens it, the blood and brains are fresh. Well, first they disappear, don't they? And then he looks yeah. back again. They look back and they're, and they're yeah. running. Yeah. They get worse. <laughs> and then it finally goes away, but he... And he has to try to not react to this because mm. he's with his parents and Ullman. Yeah. Oh and oh, there's a conversation I really wanted to touch on. Yeah. Because when he was talking to Dick, Dick asks him, do your parents ever shine? Have you ever noticed your parents? And he says, no, not my mom. And he thinks about Jack and whether Jack and he, he thinks, uh, I think, I guess Dick thinks Dick about thinks it, it yeah. that that man cannot shine. Like they, there's something dark, dark there. in him yeah. uh, that is also there, but different. So just seems important. The, yeah, the, he has the reverse shine. He has yeah. an absence of light. Yeah. So they are wrapping up this tour. This next part reminds me of Room 1408. Danny is terrified by the fire extinguisher. I love that. Yes. It's just it's just described as what it is, but it is ominous in a way that I literally cannot put words to. Well, and it's a fire extinguisher none of us have ever experienced. Yeah, it's like, an old, yeah. old, old, as a tiny yeah. uh, fire extinguisher. <laughs> and just sitting on the wall, Danny, like moves around it because he's so afraid of it oh and here's where you guys i think you were saying that we forget about the boiler because they're they run into watson he wanted to remind jack one last time that she creeps before he takes off and when danny hears the word the words she creeps they echo down a long and silent corridor in his mind one lined with mirrors where people seldom looked beautiful love it and then I, oh no, I'm not going to talk about that. I had something where I was trying to be deep and like make some sort of like analogy. Like this book is like 
eating ice cream, but it has really good candy in it. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? Yeah. No, I get that. No, yeah. Thank you. Okay. That makes yeah. perfect sense. <laughs> All right, part three. <laughs> the wasp's I'm so nest. Sorry, I'm trying. This is why I said I was scared. <laughs> I'm trying so hard. Wasp up with I, this tractor. I love that ice cream is your A game. That's what I love. We know where yeah, your heart how do you is. Ma- how do you make something good even better? Really good candy. Candy and ice cream. You missed my pun. I missed it. I what? said wasp up with this chapter. Jesus Christ. No, That's nope. a no. stretch. Well, I would have said it with more confidence, but <laughs> I had to repeat it. <laughs> the confidence is what was missing. Yeah, You're right. Yeah, You're none of my right. puns are good. They're just all confident. Okay, so let's talk about, we, we are in the Overlook. We've been here for 12 days or something. It's uh, three weeks. Three weeks. And Jack is hard at work. The what I love about the scene, he's up doing the the shingles and he even says at one point I could have done this. This could have been done days ago, but he's getting peace and tranquility up here. He's thinking about his play and he's He's making progress. Yes, he's solving all these problems, sorting out these stories. And it's given him the chance to look back and really accept the ways he's ruined their lives. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, it's it's growth for him. Mm-hmm. It, it starts out, you you have this feeling of like, things, things are going are okay. so well. Yeah. yeah, And he is thinking about how he feels like he is finally conquering this dark part of him. Can I? And, oh, I, I, sorry, you go. I'm just, I'm sorry. No. This is lovely. But he totally undermines it. Yep, okay, I was just ahead. about because I was just gymnastics. about saying <laughs> it goes on for a few pages of how well the that overlook is helping him, and then he gets stung by a wasp. Oh no! I'm sorry. The thing I was oh. thinking about before that he's he's having all the self discovery and he's reflecting on his time at the prep school and he thinks, Mm. okay, I did what I did because of this subconscious desire to be free of this place that was so comfortable that it was stifling my creative energy. And this is where we get him thinking of the things that these misfortunate things as things that are done to him. him. He's a passive participant. Mm. And I don't argue that he feels like a passive participant, but he kind of just with all of his other behavior, it's, Kind of alarming. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Because because he's thinking about how well he's doing. And the reasoning he is saying in his head is because, oh, because I'm finally away from the things that yeah. made me this way. And he thinks about his childhood. And yeah, and it, it's all finally now that I've removed myself from the things that make me mm-hmm. bad, I can be good. <laughs> Except he is then stung by a wasp and the rage immediately bubbles back up and he he immediately you know blames the wasp for this rage that he feels and says you know i the, the things that sting and he as he's killing these wasps thinks well that's fine i can sting too and it's this is where we learn too it is not just a symptom of the the diseased like alcoholic brain that he's mm-hmm. definitely still recovering from even if he's not actively drinking when he was a kid, he mm-hmm. had this temper. Mm-hmm. He something happened. A neighbor lady spanked him because he was playing with matches, and so then he threw a rock at a car, and his dad caught him, beat the shit out of him, and after that, he came upon a stray dog and kicked it. Yeah, and it's like we we know Jack has a lot of problems beyond yeah. he, what's he's, immediately obvious. He's known in his reflections. He's like, 
I've, I've maybe I've always been an alcoholic because something in my brain just hasn't been there. And it just it really sounds like no one ever taught him how to deal with mm-hmm. any feelings with whatsoever. Anger. Yeah. yeah. His, yeah especially his anger. Deep, deep anger problems. Mm-hmm. This next part is fascinating because we finally get the full story about George Hatfield. We know instantly that Jack is jealous of George. And this begins to fuel a very unhealthy dislike because he's seeing George as the privileged version of himself. And he mm-hmm. thinks that George floats through life, gets all the ladies, has he's like totally made it. He never struggles. Meanwhile, George perceives that something is up with Jack and thinks Jack doesn't like him because he's gay, which Jack doesn't like even realize or know Hmm. about (laughs) yeah it is we haven't even gotten to that in this section it does it because he just he tells jack you don't like me because you know oh we it does it's never confirmed i just assume that's what he's talking about it's pretty obvious but yeah it's but because we're hearing it through jack's mind he never says Mm -hmm. oh he thought i didn't like him because he's gay because jack is uh clueless yeah uh, yeah so uh so george hatfield joined the debate team because his dad was a lawyer and wanted his son to be a lawyer, just peer pressured him into it. Uh, and he was great. He did so much prep on both sides of the argument, and you could not fuck with him. The problem is, when the pressure came on, he developed a stutter. And it would it cost you. Cost you points, cost you your argument. And he says time after time, I didn't want to cut him. I wanted him to, to figure it out. And George... Uh, becomes very belligerent and aggressive saying comes up to him and is like you you're fucking me over you moved the time ahead i was watching the clock i saw that i had time and he's like i swear to god and I jack's not in his him. head is like no, no i never never until a few minutes later yeah he when believes in, it, this, in the same yes. thought he's like and if i did it was only a little bit just to put that's, him out of his that's misery the thing. it yeah. is <sighs> it is so yeah, the the denial mm-hmm. is so deep that he cannot admit that all of these things are because of the shit he is doing. Well, and here's the so in this final part of this argument, he tells George, "It's you stutter. That's it." And George, while stuttering, says, "I don't stutter," mm-hmm. because it's so tense. And Jack completely misreads this cry for help because he is so obsessed with how he's feeling about it that it's so clear this kid wanted some direction he mm-hmm. wanted help cuz he couldn't admit it which is exactly how Jack lives his life so if anybody should have been able to <laughs> yeah. read that cry for help it should have been Jack and instead of listening Jack is embarrassed by his own shortcomings that he will not listen. I yeah. love the way you describe that. <laughs> yeah, that is, it, it, it's mm-hmm. so frustrating. <laughs> it is, Jack is such a fucking frustrating person. Yeah. He he truly does not want to be a piece of shit, but he cannot stop getting in his own fucking way. Yeah, he yeah, believes he, his it, lies, which mm-hmm. is heartbreaking. Well, it's the hardest part about not being a piece of shit is having to admit, wow, I'm a piece of shit, Mm -hmm. and it's my fault. That's the hardest part, is having to accept the responsibility Mm -hmm. for why you suck so bad. (laughs) So so then a week later, Jack cuts him from the team, and Jack comes up to grab something from his car, and he catches George in the act, slashing the third of four tires. And George 
holds the knife up at him, he blacks out pretty much is what he says um, in this moment. Not before Jack smirks at him and says, fine, come take your medicine. Yeah. And then the next <sighs> thing he remembers is someone pulling him off of George and there was a new dent in his car and there was blood on it. Coming out of George's ears. Yeah. <laughs> so he he gets kicked out of school and Jack gets fired, but not before like six of his best debate students drop the team. Mm-hmm. So it's like clear that everyone was terrified by him losing control in this moment. All right, let's talk about Wendy and Danny come home because they'd been shopping. Good on them. Like the roads are going to close for Christmas. I don't know if I would have had that foresight <laughs> to go shopping super yeah. early. And Jack, I, I wondered so much if he actually used the bug bomb or if he, because the way it cuts, we we are with him and then this thing happens and then we come back and it's like he sees the shingles and he doesn't remember doing all of them. So I wondered if he just thought he used the bug bomb. But yeah. He had to have. That that, that theory did rock me for <laughs> okay, a full okay. 30 seconds. But I had to think about the fact that if he hadn't used the bug bomb, the wasps would have come out much earlier than they ended up doing. Yeah, no, that that's probably right. It just threw me for a minute. So he what he does is he gives this empty... <laughs> wasp nest to Danny because he had one as a kid and he thought it was really cool. I don't know if this is a thing or if it's just They are pretty bitchin'. Well, no, in and of (laughs) itself, if this next part is a thing, Wendy has a very strong reaction to it. Well, it's no, she has looking. a like really like she has a phobia or something. It's weird because later too, she kind of like breaks down. Like I hate it. I hate him. I hate him. It's creepy. Oh well, she yeah she oh, hates yeah. the the oh bugs. this kills and, me because she says to, to she, I hate them and Jack says hate what and she says anything that stings. I, and okay. what did Jack say on Literally the two chapters <laughs> uh, after Jack says, that's fine. I can sting too. That's Fucking why it's a thing. Okay, thank you. I missed that, but my brain was yeah. trying to tell me, like, this is a thing. Dang, you guys. Okay. We get some stuff with Danny trying to read because he wants to be able to read do- <laughs> I love Tony's it. signs. Very well, cute. He's trying so hard. <laughs> he's trying so hard. And he also yeah, just wants to read. And he's also just like a super smart kid. They mm-hmm. brought bought him readers. Said Jack saying that if he gets through these, he'll be reading at the second grade level yeah. by the end of the winter. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, it's great. Do you guys want to say anything about the bathroom scene? He has a an episode in the bathroom where he's locked the door and Jack mm. and Wendy have to break it down. The, yeah. The great thing about this. So they send Danny to get ready for bed and no sound is coming, just running water. So Wendy's freaking out and she pounds on the door and Jack is back at work typing his play. And this is like the first time we see him snap at his wife mm-hmm. a little bit. Cause he's like, I can't work with you fucking pounding on the door all day. And so we see that aggression is already ramping back mm-hmm. up and Jack ends up having to break the lock after threatening to spank Danny because yes. he loses his temper yes. with him, too. And he breaks the door down and Danny's on the floor uh, looking like he's he's had another one of his spells. And uh, it's it's very scary for a while. And Jack is like shaking him until he finally comes to and. Danny has no idea what happens. He just, mm-hmm. I think he just says red rum when he And opens he his says eyes something or, about a timer. Yeah. And so when he's trying, when he comes to, and he's said something about a timer, that catches Jack's attention. Oh, no, he says something about the, uh, about Roke. Yeah, we That's forgot he, to mention much earlier in like the first section of the book, 
uh, Danny had seen mm-hmm. a blood and hair caked mm. roke mallet yeah. in yeah. Jack's car. He he also says something about the timer, though, because then Jack shakes him like, what? And Danny stutters and he screams in his face, don't, don't stutter. stutter. Which, of course, Jack, like, freaks out. Like, he internalizes, oh, shit, I've just done mm-hmm. something. And Danny starts crying super hard. He is so upset. And Wendy observes Jack wiping his mouth, which I only noticed earlier because of this part. And we find out here, too, that it's wiping his mouth is something he did a lot during his drinking days. So he he loses his temper and then he calms down and they start trying to figure out, you know, they're quizzing Danny on what happened. And he says, I saw Tony down in the mirror. And Wendy's like behind you. He's like, no, down in the mirror. Also Which, horrifying. What does yeah, that fucking mean? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but he asks... Daddy, was I being bad again? Heartbreaking. So fortunately, though, they Wendy scheduled doctor's appointments, checkups for all of them because they're going to be snowed in for the winter. And so they're going to go to bed and everything's going to be totally, totally fine. Before they do this, Danny and Jack have a conversation when Wendy leaves the room. What do you guys think about this? I couldn't foreshadow harder. <laughs> I... Oh, it's so sad. Like, he just asks if he would ever hurt him or mommy. Well, uh, maybe I'm reading too much into this because he asks him if he'd ever hurt mommy and he says no. And then he asks if he'd ever hurt him and he says no. And then he's there's just silence. The, he So he not only is just like, no, but it's like, no. wouldn't you be like, what? No. Oh, my gosh. I would never yeah. hurt either of you. I love you two so much. I guess in the state Jack is in, I didn't see him ready to... I think okay. Jack was still in. Um... Sorry, I'm looking for all kinds of things. I, I've <laughs> no, never I, read this. You don't have to look hard. <laughs> no, I, I I think that is a very mm-hmm. reasonable yeah. reading of the uh, of the book. Because uh, yeah, it's it's tense. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very fact, and uh, it's followed immediately by uh, Danny getting hurt. Yeah, he's dreaming again. The thumping sounds, and he's running through the hotel, thinking about Red Rum, thinking about the monster screaming after him to come and take his medicine. You fucking cry, baby. It's really rough. It's it's a hard dream, and he wakes up to wasps stinging him when Jack and Wendy rush in because they hear him screaming. Yeah. Oh God, and like grabbing a, a rolled up magazine to start swatting them, mm-hmm. and Wendy scoops him up and gets him the hell out of there. His uh, Jack sprints down to the kitchen to get a bowl to cover it it's it's a very intense like this all happens in a matter of a few minutes mm-hmm. but the intensity is real high he gets stung 11 times we find out the next day at the doctor's office and jack gets his camera out because he, oh he's God. like we're gonna sue this the bug annoying. bomb company <laughs> Uh, I'm going to take photos of all this, take photos of, of the nest and all the welts and stuff. And he's nothing is his fault. Mm-hmm. To be fair, this time he actually did the thing. But it was just the swiftness with which he turned his focus to defending himself yeah. and placing blame instead of mm-hmm. he should have like, spent I'm more so time sorry. being concerned. I should have like, been checking on Danny. Yeah. He, even I, I'm sorry, I should have double checked to make sure the wasp nest sure. was fucking empty. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he uh, sco- scoops the nest up uh, from between the bowl and a board and sets it outside so they freeze to death overnight. Mm-hmm. Well, also, the the fact that he covers the wasp nest and then takes it to the kitchen, and then when he comes back to the wasp nest, yeah. it is again full like of wasps. 50 to 100 wasps. That's he can't thought, see the nest. 
it, it seems like too many. I That's don't, too many. Too many. Yeah. It seems a supernatural amount of wasps. That's why you said ghost wasps earlier. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> okay. they seem. Yeah, are. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. So the we we get a really cool scene the next day at the doctor's office. They take him in. Everybody gets their checkups and everybody's fine. And Danny's fine too. They run some tests because they're thinking seizures. And the doctor and the nurse have an interview with Danny, just him. Jack and Wendy are out in the waiting room and are kind of, it, it's really cool. Like the doctor mm. is very interesting. Danny doesn't want to be forthcoming, but he's like, I promise unless you tell me I have permission, I'm not going to tell your parents. Because Danny's like, he's like, tell me about Tony. And Danny's like, oh, he's my imaginary friend. And the doctor's like, yeah, that's what your parents say. Tell <laughs> me about Tony. And Danny looks in his mind and he sees like filing cabinets, you know, confidential. He sees, you know, a doctor's brain. Of, yeah. Which I love Patient. that yeah. just Hippa. that image, <laughs> the, the way that a mm-hmm. five-year-old would imagine confidentiality <laughs> yeah, cool. of like, these are all secret. I'm good. So he tells him about Tony and then the doctor's like, hey, can you talk to him? He wants to observe this happening. And I, I wasn't sure that it was going to work because, you know, that never does. Be like, right. oh, yeah, when someone's watching. No, he talk, He goes into his it's, trance. I, I think this is the best writing of the trance, too. Like, the way that it goes into it. Because it seems like it's not going to mm-hmm. happen. And then it happens so suddenly. Mm-hmm. Also has the scariest of the warnings that we've gotten so far. Because as he's having this vision, he doesn't see Tony. Tony does not show up. He just hears his mm-hmm. voice. And the voice is saying over and over again, this inhuman place makes human monsters. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it's oh, read. That line. Yeah. That's the way it's read yes. in the book. This inhuman place makes human monsters. And it's like so unnaturally read, <laughs> it gives me goosebumps. <laughs> and he goes into this trance, and when he comes out, the doctor's like, What what were you were saying something about monsters, but he can't mm-hmm. remember. It's so spooky and cool. I love, we do get a nice moment with Jack and Wendy because Mm. they come back into the room and Danny goes out to play and the doctor's like, he's fine. In fact, he's not just fine. He's a great kid. I think what we have here is some, what could have been a really like serious psychosis Mm. that, you know, as they're talking to him, they're actually forthcoming too. And it's the first time they mentioned divorce because Danny brought it up to the doctor and the doctor asks him about it. And they have this healing moment where they... Mm. Talk about things they've never said to each other, which they probably should have been doing yeah. this whole time. And you feel for them. Like, no, this is the moment they go, the God office. damn it. If only therapy had been invented in the 70s, <laughs> this probably uh, didn't have to happen. Because I love to, Jack says, he tells him he broke his arm. Mm. And he's like, I saw the break. It was set very well. Danny doesn't seem bothered by that part of what's going on. He's mostly worried about you guys getting a divorce. But as soon as he, this kills me, Wendy, as soon as Jack says that he broke his arm, Wendy jumps to his defense and she's like, oh, but he didn't mean it. And Jack goes, no, Wendy, I meant it. I meant to do it. Somewhere inside me, I meant it. Good moment for Jack. I like him in this moment. It's like, yeah, finally. Yeah, taking some Mm -hmm. responsibility for the things Mm -hmm. he's done. So Dr. Bill admits, I'm not a psychologist, but here's a very convincing explanation of things that you guys Mm -hmm. think are alarming or concerning. You've got this really bright kid. He's bright for his age. He's probably going to grow up to be an extraordinary man if you guys start parenting better. Mm -hmm. 
And the things that you perceived as sort of otherworldly or mystical, he's just extremely perceptive. Like you guys were saying earlier, he mm. basically says psychics make a living being able to read people and read situations. Danny is naturally gifted at what they struggle to do. I love that that's immediately followed with Wendy being like, yeah, no, there here are like 12 small examples <laughs> yes. of yeah. why that is not. Dan- Danny can't be so perceptive. He knows that I want something before I know I want it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's had, you know, she's lived with him it's every great. day of his whole life. And she feels like the doctor's kind of brushing her off. But from his perspective, I totally understand why he thinks that. It's a very reasonable reaction. And it sounds, mm-hmm. even knowing what we know, mm-hmm. uh, even knowing... Uh, the, if we didn't see the, him with Tony, if we didn't see his perspective, we might believe the doctor. Yeah. And well, even with Tony, because he says, you know, a lot of children show signs of schizoaffective uh, <laughs> like behavior. They have imaginary friends. They lock themselves in the closet <laughs> for some reason. Whatever. Kids are lunatics. Uh, <laughs> but... Yeah, I don't know. I have a whole paragraph of notes on the DSM-5 that I'm just going to Jesus skip. Christ. It's not important. <laughs> I, I, I do like that the rationale for explaining Tony away and why Tony's showing yes. him nightmares mm-hmm. now, that he he had Tony when he was happy and had all these friends. Now he's growing up and he doesn't need Tony well, as it's much. The other way, he had Tony when... Jack was drinking. Oh, that's right. That's it, what was it was when he was mm-hmm. drinking and everything was bad. He invented Tony to help him, t- to just help him when he needed someone. And now that things are getting quote unquote better, he's he's purging Tony, and that is why Tony is showing him nightmares to like. I, I don't know. Tony is trying to fight for his existence. Yeah, and it is upsetting. I and do... eventually, it will work its way out. Yeah. I do. I gotta ask this because I know Ben. I don't know as far as pop culture goes. I don't know how far this is in the zeitgeist. But there's this one line where he's like, "Have either of you brought up to uh, Danny why his imaginary friend's name's Tony?" And they're like, "No, we figured he'd figure it out." And he's like, "All right." I had to go him, back. Do you know? I had to go back and look because I'm like, "Why is it?" Because his middle name. Is Anthony? It was mentioned once. Yes. Early. Uh, I didn't know I if you. To, I didn't know if you saw yeah, that. You caught that. I, I caught did not it, but I, I had to go find it because <laughs> I'm like, oh, I missed that somewhere. Is that his middle name? No, that was cool. Yeah. We we didn't mention this, but Danny also has a vision of his father in one of these trances. I think it's the one in the doctor's yeah, office. He sees mm-hmm. him in the basement, and he's looking through things. Mm-hmm. He's by the boiler, and he sees him grab this scrapbook. And Danny gets just this horrible mm. premonition, and he just wants to scream at him not to touch it, that it's bad. The, this uh, f- this vision is also where we get the whole vision is droning with this loud noise, mm. this this noise. rumbling noise yeah. that he thinks of as the thing that will be forgotten. Oh. And then later on realizes that it's the sound of the boiler. So Danny probably won't come up again. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not going to come up again. Danny's vision comes true because we we leave the doctor's office feeling very hopeful for everybody, and there's been some healing. And Jack is in the basement to check on the boiler, and he starts looking through some of the old records and newspaper clippings. And as he does this, he realizes that the overlook should have been rolling in the dough, and there's a reason it isn't. And he's kind of like. Probably just decades, you know, like Ullman said, decades of really bad management. And then he finds a scrapbook. And there is a lot 
in here. And it, it's mm. fascinating. People should definitely read it. But I just wanted to ask you guys, do you have a favorite historical moment from this chapter? Like one that you just want to bring up that you liked? I like the um, when it stops being owned by Horace Derwent and this company buys it. And then this company <laughs> starts that doesn't want to have any association with Vegas starts having mobsters mm. and politicians all it's a super exclusive but they're like no nothing shady's going on here it's fine I want to see the overlook in that heyday because mm-hmm. I bet it's fucking wild <laughs> we just get a lot of newspaper clippings about mm-hmm. tragedies that have happened uh, murders that have happened there's like the shooting in the presidential suite we finally mm-hmm. find yeah, out what, what Danny saw it was a triple murder in the, <laughs> it was a, a mafia hit and then I think it's Jack like hears also in his head and they took his balls or no something he that reads is. it it's written oh it's written in, in, that's it's right written on the newspaper clipping yeah and, and he's he like thinks, who the fuck is this yeah he's like who, yeah whose yeah, wonders is this? Right. Whose book is this yeah Again, as he's going through this, I don't know if I have to mention this, but I'm afraid that it's important. He keeps wiping his mouth like more and more. We are told that. And he keeps thinking about how he wishes. I I wish I had a drink. This would go better with a drink. And I, I was really creeped out by all of that. And when he saw the photos of the Overlook um, at one of its stages of like vacancy and it was sort of falling to disrepair, it hurts his heart and he feels a new and grand responsibility to the hotel. Which is a very sharp contrast to our first moments with him not wanting to be there and mm. not taking Allman seriously. It's spooky. <laughs> the right at the end of the scene is my favorite thing, and it's when he hears Wendy coming down, yes. and he, he hides, hides the scrapbook just like he'd hide a bottle because he's lost hours down there. He's and been and down he immediately, there he immediately, or uh, she immediately, instinctively starts like smelling at him, yeah. like gets close to him. Because she has a history when he stopped mm-hmm. drinking and was spending more and more time with Al Shockley. She would be s- trying to smell booze on him and never did. So she yeah. is falling back into that yeah. habit of like, I know that you can't be drinking because there's nothing here. But you're acting but like you are. You so. sure are acting like yeah. you were drinking. And he, and he thinks when she does it, when she steps close to him in that particular way, that she he doesn't think she's conscious mm. of doing it. That's just... Just reaction. Okay, so the last chapter that we're covering today is a real tease because it's titled (laughs) Outside 217. And I guess that's my fault because it doesn't say Inside 217. Uh (laughs) That is true. It does not say that. Yeah, I don't know why I got so excited. So Danny's curiosity, as we knew it would, has gotten the best of him. And we are going to catch back up with him standing in front of the door I to just room lo- 217. I love that the whole beginning is, it's very reminiscent of going back to Pet Cemetery of uh, Lewis Creed looking up the deadfall and being like, oh, that looks tough as hell. I can't climb that. And then walking straight <laughs> yeah. off. Doing it. It's yeah. the same thing like Danny, because you don't know he's standing outside it right away. And he's like, man, I should not go near room 217. Danny said, looking up <laughs> at room 217. And did I miss... Isn't there a weird thing with the passkey? He's he's thinking about the room being locked and how he'd have to get the passkey or something. But yeah, he already, but he already has, has it. it. That really freaked me. Yeah, out. he knew he knew he was going. Yeah, he doesn't get very far though. He's got the same denial as Dad does. <laughs> why doesn't Danny make it inside the room? <sighs> you know why does he not go all the way in this time? Because he gets real close. Like he even puts the pass. He puts the key in the door. 
because he looks back over his shoulder at it's, this creepy fire extinguisher. Oh, yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't tell if there was if the creepy fire extinguisher what happened just what happens next versus the reason he definitely doesn't go in now i i thought he was like looking to make sure the coast was clear that okay. catches because he's not supposed to be there sure. and he doesn't he's not supposed to have the key that thing catches his eye and then the because we've gotten some imagery of this in his visions too like something kind of jungly and and viney and movement in the carpet yeah he is on his way back. He's going to put the pass key back because he's a good boy and he's going to listen. And he is frightened that this thing is just going to leap off the wall it's at like him hugging like a the snake. Opposite side of the wall. Yeah. And he's about 10 steps away and the brass nozzle drops to the floor and the hose unravels. He's <laughs> like, ah, oh, fuck, 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 fuck. And, but it's a very real depiction of intense child imagination like mm. i'm sure we all like played that game when we were kids yep and so he's like all right this is dangerous but if i just run past it it can't get me like i'm so much faster <laughs> and he makes a run for it and as he passes it he hears it chasing him and he leaps over it i love uh-huh. that it, that he describes it as he, he yes! jumps so high it felt like his <laughs> hair brush the ceiling even though he knows that's impossible yeah that's how bad he wanted to clear it uh, and he does not chance to look back at it because he knows that'll slow him down and then it'll get him and he makes it to the stairs finally and that's when he turns back and it hasn't changed position it's still laying there on the floor like it was and that is where we are going to leave this family for now <laughs> boy what a lovely place to leave <laughs> them right. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode, where we will be covering through Chapter 37. For Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, this is Joshua Khan reminding you, sometimes human places create inhuman monsters. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to The Shining Part 1. We hope you enjoyed it. We have a teaser for you at the end of this outro and a special announcement. But first, if you haven't already, please take a moment to rate and review us because your ratings really do help us out. They keep us near the top of the charts where other listeners can discover us. So we really appreciate it. Also, check out Etsy.com slash Dairy Public Radio for merch and Patreon.com slash Dairy Public Radio for perks and bonus episodes like the one you'll hear a bit of in a moment. We have some very exciting news, though. A local brewery, Nerdspeak, is making a very special Dairy Public Radio beer for us in celebration of our coverage of The Shining. The tapping will happen on June 11th, and we will be sharing more details about the beer, theme, and events as we get closer to the date, so keep an eye out for that. And here's a teaser from our Patreon episode of Sometimes They Come Back. All right, I'm going to fix the ending. <laughs> okay. All right, let's All right, do it. Here's, here's my pitch. So everything happens as normal, except for earlier, both his wife and son die because that'd be awesome. So it's just you him in this face off. Man. I, I'm not done. It's going to get worse. <laughs> oh my God. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye. <laughs>